In the Money Media Network, my name is Matt Bernie, and you can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Today is Friday, June the 30th, the last day of the month, 2023. This is episode 163 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube, search bar Matt Bernie, your show. You will get this episode along with the 162 prior, and as always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, questions, comments, concerns, beneath the video player, or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. This weekend, 4th of July weekend, uh, many folks get a little bit of an extended holiday, which is nice. Uh, I am not working Saturday or Sunday. We were supposed to be going to Churchill Downs for the Stephen Foster, and then when everything happened there, uh, the NBC show got canceled. Uh, so I picked up three days here during the week for FanDuel TV, uh, Wednesday through Friday, and now I am off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I'll be back to work on Wednesday next week. So I've, I've gone through, we talked about the races um, over the week. They're on social media. If you're following TVG or you're following me, I've retweeted them. I don't have any like amazing opinions about those couple races, the two big ones anyway, um, down at Ellis Park. I, I think smile happy is strictly the horse to beat in there i know there are other interesting horses but to me if he does anything close to what he did in the ali sheba he is going to win and as far as the fleur de lis is concerned i I picked and bet her in the la troyenne i think amore especially if you look at something like thoroughgraph she just she lays over that field and there are a million scratches i would have been interested in al Stahl's horse but it doesn't seem like she's going to run so I don't have anything crazy there. I'm not doing a deep dive into those races. You can find previews and thoughts all over the place. You can also watch on FanDuel TV. We will have a whole host of folks down there covering those races on Saturday afternoon. So this week, I didn't really know which direction I wanted to go because I'm looking at the races and I go, well, well, you know, usually when I'm not working, I'm not really looking at things much anymore. I'm trying to genuinely like shut it down, not not dive into the PPs at all. So I was kind of scrambling, thinking, what am I going to talk about for this week's show? And then it, it just unfortunately presented itself. On the heels of last Saturday's giant performance at Thistledown, Two Phils has been retired with an injury. And there's you know, there's nothing anyone can do about that. But it was especially disappointing for me as someone who over, I think, for the past at least two months, but I had said this leading into the Kentucky Derby, to me, Two Fields had established himself, if not, if he wasn't the best horse of the crop to this point, he was certainly the most consistent. He was going to show up and run, and he could adapt to different pace scenarios. He could be forward if it was slow. He could rally into, you know, faster fractions. And, again, if if you didn't think he was the best horse, your prerogative, your opinion. But at the very least, he was consistent. You knew what you were going to get from him. And then he shows up in that Ohio Derby. On the heels of a 105 buyer in the Kentucky Derby when he finished second, he blows the doors off of, I still believe is a good horse. Maybe he's a bit unpolished, Bishop's Bay. But I think Bishop's Bay is going to turn into a good horse. Maybe he's not there yet, but the talent is there. He has all the makings of being a good racehorse. 
And Two Fills made him look like a 50 claimer. And then you find out Two Fills is injured. So not only is he injured, but he's been retired. So you look at what he has accomplished. He's not going to be remembered long term. He's, he's just not. He didn't accomplish enough on the racetrack. He is a grade two winner. Not even. He's a grade three winner. Multiple grade three winner. He ran fast. He's paired up by our tops of 105. I think he was going to be a, a super player in every race that there was for this for this group. But if you look back at this horse retroactively, he's not going to stand out. He's just not. He didn't accomplish enough. He didn't win enough of the big races. But that's not to say that he may not have or, or, or he wasn't going to. And that's that made me start thinking a little bit. When I think of two fills, a lot of it is going to be in time looking back going, man, what what could he have turned into? Because the talent seemed like it was there, but, but the resume is not. So it made me start thinking about some horses, I don't even want to say in recent memory, because this goes back to 2010 is the first horse that I'm going to bring up here. And this is a pretty short list. It's not a massive list. And I need the help of the listeners. Are there obvious horses that I'm missing? Also recognize I am only using very recent runners as far as the past 12 to 13 years. I'm sure there are many horses earlier on, but I haven't been in the game that long, and I'm certainly not claiming to be a historian. So if there are other horses that fit this profile, they raced. When they raced, they were really, really good. It seemed like the future was extremely bright. And then, for one reason or another, they never got to go on. They never got to fulfill that potential. To me, Two Fills is now the latest case there. Because of how good he was, and how consistent he was, his career is going to be much more what could have been as opposed to what was. So this week, I have laid out a total of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine horses, dating back to 2010 being the first, or the latest, I should say, of horses that they they did good things on the racetrack, but they had abbreviated racing careers, and I think most would sit there and say good racing career but what could have been because the talent was obvious that's what this week's show is and again i need your help if there are others in this time period that i've missed or there are horses well before this that i'm just not thinking of and i didn't throw in here let me know beneath the video player on youtube specifically you can tweet at me or you can send me a dm on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, but this is much better suited beneath the video player on YouTube over on the In The Money Media YouTube channel. Two fills. Nice career. He's going to be forgotten as far as an actual accomplished racehorse is concerned. But when people bring his name up, it's going to be more about what could he have accomplished, not what did he accomplish. Here are nine others that I think fit that bill, some of them more accomplished than others. 2010 is the first horse on this list. He only raced six times in his career. He was trained by Todd Pletcher. Four times a victor in those six lifetime starts. 
The two big wins of his three-year-old campaign came in the Fountain of Youth, and then more specifically, the Wood Memorial, Escandrea. Now, Escandrea was a horse that it seemed like would have been a very clear-cut favorite headed into the 2010 Kentucky Derby. Now, would he have gone on to to win that year? Who, who won that year? Super Saver? Um, I think by most estimations, people would call him a, a better runner. But um, the fact that at that point in the year, he had already earned two buyer speed figures over 105. He earned a 106 in the Fountain of Youth, and he earned a 109 in the Wood Memorial. And based on the pedigree, I mean, what else could you ask for? He's by Giants Causeway, and he's out of a Seattle slough mare. Felt like he wanted to run 12 furlongs, easy. So you could understand why folks were getting excited about it. I've gone through, and especially for the horses that I couldn't pull up past performances, I kind of ran back their their big victories. Um, and just a handful of them, but brilliant calls. Tom Durkin with the call of Escondrea winning the wood. You know, Johnny Velasquez is a statue. You know, from here to Egypt. Uh, it just a really, I mean, he looked like he could have been anything. And unfortunately, he doesn't race again after that. But he's turned into a very useful useful stallion. Um, his two biggest stars, I, I guess, are a couple of Met Mile winners. Uh, Matoli, more spirit. But when you see a horse like this on the track and you see how fast he ran, as early as he ran, and the hands that he was in with Todd and the pedigree, you go, oh, man, what what could have been? You know, what what could he have turned into? Because it, it certainly seems like he could have owned that three-year-old division, and it was a good group of three-year-olds. And then on top of that, you know, you don't want to get way ahead of yourself, but you think to the end of the year, let's say he continued on that path. 2010, remember how that season culminated at Churchill Downs. Blame and Zenyatta. I think they earned 110s or somewhere thereabouts in that year's classic. This horse did that at Aqueduct in April as a three-year-old. He earned a 109. And it, I, I realize it's not that easy. It's not that cut and dry that you can't project that he would have, you know, I'm not saying that he all of a sudden was going to run 125 buyers, but he was already pretty damn fast. So Escondre is the first horse on the list where I think back and I'm like, poof. You know, you look at him and you go, what what could have, what could have come from this horse? The next two horses, I believe, they don't come quite a year later, but I believe their two big races are separated by three days, if my math is not totally screwed up. Let's start with McLean's music. The the one-hit wonder, and I don't, I'm not trying to be super punny, but McLean's music, one-hit wonder. He raced one time, and he set the world on fire earning, I believe, a 114 buyer speed figure in his career debut. And you watch it, it also makes you think back to how fast Santa Anita used to be. I mean, he, he was a rocket ship. But I'm looking at the replay right now. Opening quarter, 21-1. and one, Half mile, 43-2. and two. And he goes off and he wins without really any asking. 
uh, final time of seven and two for six furlongs. Seven and two. We, we you're not going to see a racetrack produce seven and two fractions. I would venture a guess is to say ever again. I, I just, I mean, our tracks aren't that fast anymore. For good reason. So McLean's music never runs again, but he earns a 114 buyer. And he himself is turned into a useful stallion. And that is a little bit of a common thread for, you know, many of these runners. I don't think we have superstar stallions out of any of these horses, which is an important thing to keep in mind. When you see some of these race horses that are really, truly special athletes, it doesn't always mean that they're going to turn into special stallions. We've seen far less racehorses turn into more important and more valuable stallions than the names on this list and many other names. But McLean's music, wickedly fast. Uh, if my mind is not failing me, I believe has produced a triple crown winner. A race winner, anyway, in cloud computing. I believe he was in McLean's music. He won the Preakness a number of years ago for Chad. So... Stating the obvious, when you debut with a 114 buyer and you never run again, was it a flash in the pan? Or were you going to turn into one of the greatest sprinters the game's ever seen? We'll never know. But it's a fun thing to think about. And then three days later, again, if my dates and my math are not incorrect, there was a horse that won the San Felipe that I think a lot of people forget about. And he won the race so emphatically and so impressively. And I do believe he ended up having a catastrophic injury down the road, which is, you know, I'm stating the obvious. I, that's not good for anyone. Uh, thankfully, most of these other horses have gone on to be stallions. I believe there was a, uh, a life-ending injury that this horse sustained. But Premier Pegasus won the San Felipe going two turns at Santa Anita in absolute, just dominating fashion with a with a running style that historically is not one that usually works at Santa Anita. He comes up, loops up on the far outside, turning for home. He's five or six deep, and he goes off and powers home, absolutely powers down the lane. And when you think back to that year, 2011, and the horses that were leading into the Triple Crown, you know, you ended up with Animal Kingdom winning the Derby, who was a, and, and I've gone on record multiple times saying that that 2011 Derby, for the folks that get so hung up in the, the here and now about how good this group is, well, at the time, no one really looked at that 2011 Derby and said, this is going to be a group that amounts to much. And then years later, in hindsight, you get to see, we've got a Dubai World Cup winner. We've got a Met Mile winner in there. We've got a Breeders' Cup Classic winner in there. By the way, it's not the same horse. Three different horses accomplished those three different things. And they all went on to win different races doing different things. Premier Pegasus, from a talent standpoint, you know, can I? am I going to sit here and say that he would have turned into Animal Kingdom or, or something of that level? It's probably unfair to Premier Pegasus to put that sort of expectation out there just because of what animal kingdom turned into but could he have been mucho macho man 
or on par or on level with that? I think so. Why not? Talent-wise, I think I think he was a pretty outstanding talent. And again, what could he have turned into? Could he have been a Kentucky Derby winner? We'll never know. I think I said I had nine. I actually have seven. I had, I had multiples counted multiple times. These two have to be linked. They should be linked forever. Deservedly so. And I think the questions even more so warrant that that what if, what could have been. Was this the next great rivalry? I think it probably already belongs up there as one of the better rivalries, even though they only squared off twice. 2012, this was really the beginning of my sort of all-in in the sport. I wasn't working in the business yet, but this was... This was really what made me start dreaming bigger and better was I'll have another and Bodie Meister and the way the Kentucky Derby played out. I brought it up a few weeks ago leading into the Derby, sort of my experiences or my, you know, going back through the years and being down at Mohegan Sun watching this race because I had a future bet on I'll have another. And as they turn for home in the Derby and you see Bodie Meister is opened up on the field and he went unbelievably fast early on dueling with a horse called Trinenberg who would go on to win the Breeders' Cup sprint and he put him away he outfooted him going 10 furlongs going 45 and a piece and was still fighting on at the end but he got run down by I'll have another the horse that I was backing um, and our one of our producers over at FanDuel TV uh, Ruben he had tweeted earlier in the day asking me early in the day of Friday asking what picture was up over my shoulder in my office here at home. And I've got three up there. Two of them are my Derby future bets, and one of them is the horse that I'll always be forever indebted to. Uh, the Derby winners, one of them, and the one that's in camera shot is I'll have another. The other one is Orb. And the, you know, for me, the, the king, always will be, is Jersey Town. He's a total outlier. He had nothing to do with the Derby. But point being... I'll have another has a very special place in, you know, racing lore for me, not just from the the success standpoint and the confidence that it gave me going forward, but then to watch the Preakness two weeks later. And I also forgot this purely from a gambling standpoint. I'll have another went off at three to one in the Preakness compared to the eight to five off odds for Bodie Meister. And you know, when they turn for home, I, I brought up Durkin's call of Escandrea. Dave Rodman's call of this Preakness is outstanding. They turn for home. You see those fractions up there, 47 and 3 for a half mile. Bodie Meister kicks away the top of the lane. I'll have another still kind of getting outrun. And then he really, Rodman, I mean, it, it's perfect. It's an ideal call. I think the inflections in his voice, the whole nine, it's a beautiful thing. And then when they cross the wire, you know, heads apart, I'll have another in Baltimore. I'll have another at Pimlico. I'll have another in the Preakness. I mean, what else What else do you want? The problem is, and I'll tell you what else we wanted, neither of these horses ran again. But to put it into context of what they had earned on a speed figure standpoint, let me pull up this piece uh, on the buyer stamp uh, on the figs. 
yeah, they both earned 109s in that race. Now compare that to our Preakness winner this year, or the, the top two in the Preakness. And I'm not using this as an opportunity to shit on National Treasure or Blazing Sevens. But I, was it a 96 that won the Preakness this year? And these two earned 109s. What could this have turned into? Forget about the fact that I'll have another was on the, the cusp of a triple crown. We won't get into you know how that whole thing played out. But let's just look over the summer. And forget about the Belmont, but, but think about think about the, the Travers. Another matchup between these two? If they're earning 109s the second or the third week of May, what are they going to be earning the last weekend in August? Are they going to streak away? Are they going to put 15 lengths on the field earning, you know, giant, giant numbers? Oh, and by the way, in August, the last week of August, out on the West Coast, I know it was on synthetic compared to dirt, but a three-year-old named Dolahan earned a 111. So, I mean... Who knows what that group could have ended up producing. But specifically those two. I'll have another in Bodemeister. And they've, you know, I'll have another over in Japan. Bodemeister's been a very useful stallion here in the U.S. It's, uh, that, that is up there. Those two are up there. Of what, what could they have turned into? And could that have been a genuinely great Rivalry. We got a very abbreviated version of it, of only two races. But isn't it fun to think about what those two could have done had they continued on? And we'll knock these last two out back to back. They are separated by only a handful of months. One horse, very clearly timing-wise, was not ready for the Breeders' Cup. The other one was arguably at his peak in the Breeders' Cup, despite not winning. Let's go to 2016, the fall. Not this time has debuted his first three races. Let's let's ignore the career debut in June. Let's look at the August and September races. He's gone out and he's won by 10 in just under nine lengths. The pedigree, he's by Giants Causeway out of a trippy mare. He visually looks the part. Professionally, he's there. He's in great hands with Dale Romans. He goes to the Breeders' Cup at Santa Anita. And with the way the whole thing played out, you know, was it disappointing that he was as far back as he was? And I'm saying that like he was a mile out of it. He was only two lengths back. But if you give him an extra 16th of a mile, out to a mile and an eighth, I'm fairly confident he goes by Classic Causeway, or excuse me, um, Classic Empire. And that's not meant as a, a, a dig at Classic Empire, but I think on the square, I believe personally, not this time, was a far superior talent. And we have seen that in time that he has become a very, very important young stallion. That it seems like he's he's going to be a very important sire for a number of years to come. He earned a 102 in that Breeders' Cup Juvenile. And it you can't help, or I can't help but think, all right, yeah, he got beat again. He ended his career, you know, two for two, basically. Or a two out of four, you know, two wins, two losses. But I think his loss was actually his best race 
and for that to be his last run ever, and it was as a two-year-old, and you see that pedigree and you think, what, what, did, what was in store for that three-year-old campaign? Maybe he was just precocious and he wouldn't have gone on. I personally kind of got the opposite vibe. That he was just a very professional horse from day one. And he was just good. And it's not to take anything away, again, from Classic Empire, who defeated him. They put seven and a half lengths on Practical Joke. And Practical Joke ended up being a grade one winner. I think not this time. He could have been a special racehorse. And it's really early. But he may end up being a vitally important stallion. He's off to a great start so far. Now, that Breeders' Cup was at Santa Anita. November 5th is when he ran. On November 19th, just a few weeks later, at Del Mar, a horse won the Bob Hope only by a length and a quarter. Probably didn't look all that flashy on the in the manner that he did it. But Mastery is the last horse that I'm going to bring up on this list for me anyway. Because his debut was rather flashy at Santa Anita. Then he goes and wins the Bob Hope. Then they stretch him out in distance. And I think this is what got me as excited as I was about this horse. They stretched him out in distance. And that's when it really felt like he was allowed to do what he wanted to do. He goes out and wins the Low South Futurity. And if you just look at sort of the splits where he's positioned, he's only a length and a half ahead, really at the top of the lane. And I know it's low sal and the stretch goes on forever in a day. But not only does he win, but he puts another six lengths on the field. And then we don't see him again until the San Felipe. So he's gone for about four months time. But it's Baffert. They're usually ready to go off the bench. And he comes back and it's the exact same scenario. He's only marginally ahead for the majority of the run. He's too clear at the top of the lane. And the final margin of victory is just under seven. It's it's unfortunate he got hurt there because he was vanned off in the gallop out. And maybe he hasn't become a, a superstar stallion. But he's another one. He earned a 105 buyer that day. So if you think of two horses in that 2017 crop. 2017, I believe, was always dreaming. Not this time in mastery to think that we didn't get to see either of them race on past mid-March. Who knows what that triple crown looks like? Who knows what the rest of that three-year-old season looks like? Are either of them, do they stay in training at all? Are they factors in the Breeders' Cup? Any of that kind of stuff. But these were fast, good horses early on in good hands with good trainers. And again, not this time, I think right now looks like a a far more important stallion than mastery at this juncture. Maybe things will change. But just purely what they did on the racetrack and projecting with mild improvement, not, not leaps and bounds, what could they have turned into? It's a fascinating thing to think about. I... You know, I mean, you think about it with sports in general. It doesn't have to just be the horses. I know up in my neck of the woods here in New England, many, many moons ago, but everyone talks about Tony C., Tony Canigliero. If he hadn't gotten hit in the eye, what does he turn into? 
you know, is he an all-time shortstop? We'll never know because he caught a fastball in the eye, and that was that. You think about some of these other great athletes, for for better or for worse, some some terrible, terrible reasons. Again, I'll just stick to my region of the country, the whole Len Bias story. What what could he have been as a professional? You know, again, far... I mean, not that the Tony C story isn't sad, but, I mean, when we have a loss of life, it is, it is far more severe than than a, than a permanent disability. Again, not trying to weigh what's better or worse than the other, but point being, we never got to truly see their full potential. And that's that's always sad. And in this case, luckily, for the most part, these horses were able to go on. Unfortunately, one was not. But I do think about that. And the same goes for two fills. And this is how we'll kind of come full circle and wrap up this week's show. Two fills, was he as naturally gifted as some of these horses that I have mentioned? No, probably not. But he, he's been an extremely consistent horse that as of late has really kind of asserted himself as not just the most consistent, but you could argue the best horse of his generation right now on June 30th. And unfortunately, we won't get to see him race again. And in my head, it's always going to be planted back there, especially if this group just ends up kind of, you know, playing hot potato and, and passing the baton around. Okay, it's your turn to lead, your turn to lead. Could two fills have been the one that kind of took control of this group? We'll never, we'll never know. We'll never know if he ends up being a... I don't want to say a forgotten horse because he's going to get a stallion deal. And if he ends up being a great sire, then, you know, he will stay top of mind. But if he ends up being sort of a middling stallion, he's just going to kind of be a footnote. And that's unfortunate. Let me know beneath the video player on YouTube if I have forgotten horses in recent memory, horses going farther back that kind of fit this bill. The what could haves, the what could have beens of the world compared to what they actually truly were on the racetrack. And I looked at other horses. I looked up Tappet. He ran a few more times, though. Looked up a couple other names. These were the ones over the past 12, 13 years, though, that sort of stuck out to me of what, what could they have turned into. Again, however you listen, thank you for doing so. You can find the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, in themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube. Search bar Matt Burney, your show. You can get this episode along with the 162 prior. As always, please rate, review, subscribe, thumbs up, thumbs down, uh, comments, opinions, for better or for worse. Uh, make sure you're checking out Horse Players Happy Hour during the week, with PTF and JK and whoever else is filling in there. Uh, and be sure to check us out over on FanDuel TV. Again, I am off until Wednesday next week. I'll be on Wednesday through Sunday uh, working from home, and then I will be back to Monmouth Park for two final weeks. Be down there for a week, and then I will wrap my time up down on the Jersey Shore with Haskell Week, which is shaping up to be a great race, and then I will work from home for the month of August before hitting the road again in September. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Have a happy and safe 4th of July holiday weekend. Don't do anything stupid. Don't blow your hands off. 
I've seen too many of those videos and too many of those pictures. Keep all your, are these phalanges? Is that what these are? Keep all your fingers. Keep all the digits. They're important. Need those. Uh, best of luck this weekend, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 163 of the Matt Burning Your Show.